Welcome, and thanks for joining us for this episode of the C3 Church Podcast. You're about to listen into a message from one of our gatherings. To find out more about our community, where we gather both in person and online, and how to get involved, head to cfreechurch.ca. Now, let's listen into a message from a recent service. We are at the start of this series, and this series is called Angels Don't Have Wings. This is all about things that we believe are in Scripture that are not in Scripture. How many of you knew the angels in the Bible are not ever described with having wings? I did not know that. Last week, there you go. Angels don't have wings, yet in our mind we believe these things. There's a, another church I saw uh, while I was doing some preparation for this sermon, and they called a series similar to this, they called them half-truths. These platitudes that we use in our life, but they're not in line with Scripture. And one of the important duties and tasks of the church, this is a church, in case you didn't know, one of the duties of the church is to proclaim truth. In the world today, there's a lot of things that, uh, that propel themselves as truth that are not truth. If you read through scripture, you find a lot of times that people are deceived by things that seem like truth, but are not truth. If you look at the story of Jesus being tempted in the desert for 40 days, the devil comes and he brings half-truths to him. Some of us think that if it's half-truth, it's all right. But a half-truth is still half-lie. And this is a problem, because if I'm believing a half-truth, I'm believing a non-truth. And it's important for us to get our, our, our scripture in line. It's important for us to get our truth in line. Otherwise, we'll go on believing things about God that are not true and cannot accomplish what God has for you. God wants you to live in truth, and in truth, there is freedom. It's good. So here's what we're going to look at uh, this morning. We're going to start in scripture. It's always the best place to start. If you're looking for truth, don't look outside of scripture. The, uh, the memes on your Instagram are not the truth that will set you free. The signboards outside with the pithy stay- sayings down in Vernon, there's a, 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 law, uh, a law group. It used to be a yogurt shop. We had an interest meeting there, but now it's a law group. And they always have these pithy, or these, um, pithy is the wrong word, but they always have these statements up there um, that, you know, seem like truth, but aren't really truth. Uh, so let's start in scripture, because scripture is our basis of truth. Amen. Good. We're going to start in Ecclesiastes uh, verses 9, 11 to 12. It says, I have observed something else under the sun. This is by the writer of Ecclesiastes, a great book on wisdom. It says, the fastest runner doesn't always win the race. The strongest warrior doesn't always win the battle. The wise sometimes go hungry, and the skillful are not necessarily wealthy. And those who are educated don't always lead successful lives. Really encouraging, hey? But it's true. It is all decided by chance, by being in the right place at the right time. People can never predict when hard times might come. Like fish in a net or birds in a trap, people are caught by sudden tragedy. My title for this message, if you want to write it at the top of your notes, if you're taking notes, which I encourage you to do, is Within Suffering. Within Suffering. Why don't you bow your heads, I'm going to pray. Jesus, I thank you so much that your presence is here. I thank you, God, that you are the author of truth. God, I pray that this be a space, that anything that uh, is not true and not from you, God, that it would pass away, that we would step into new depths of freedom, new recognition of your purpose and your plan for us. 
Holy Spirit, be with us in this moment as you've promised to be. Let ears be open. Make the mysteries simple. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this month we're going through these various platitudes that, um, that some, some of us may believe are scriptural or believe are true, um, but do not actually find their truth in scripture or, or may not actually be as true as we say they are. And the, the, the topics that I was given this morning or chosen to speak on this morning are these two statements. You've probably heard them before. Everything happens for a reason. How many of you have heard that before? Everything happens for a reason. And then paired with that is this one. God will never give you more than you can handle. Have you heard that one before? God will never give you more than you can handle. These are wonderful statements. They're like a delicious chocolate bar after grocery shopping. An ice cream sandwich in this weather. These things that soothe, but do not heal. I found it interesting as I thought about these statements and tried to meditate on the source of them. And I thought, the reality is the most time when I'm going to hear the statement like this is when something's gone wrong in my life. When something is not going the way it's supposed to, when a tragedy has befallen me, someone comes with this amazing platitude, don't worry, everything happens for a reason. Don't worry, I know your house burned down, but God never gives you more than you can handle. It's funny, the person saying it isn't the person whose house burnt down. It's these gap fillers. It's the ums, the likes, the buts in our vocal crutches that we fill the space because we're, we're, we're uncomfortable with the silence there. We feel like we must have some answer, so we give a answer even if it's the wrong answer. Let me give you some advice. It actually comes from Proverbs. Proverbs says the man who is silent looks more wise than the man who speaks too much. Let's not be people who fill the silence and look foolish just because we felt like filling the silence. I had a friend growing up. He was silent all the time, didn't talk very much. But when he talked, you listened. Because his words were few. So you leaned in when he brought up information into that. I want to look at this story. It's in John 9, 1 to 25. I gave the uh, production guys the wrong reference this morning. So if they get this up here, we're going to have to give them a round of applause because they solved it during communion. And we're going to start in uh, John 9, verse 1. Do we have it? Come on, let's give the media team a round of applause. Thank you. Honestly, for the media team having to deal with me, it requires far more than applause. John 9, verses 1, and this is a story uh, that we find in the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John is John's retelling of Jesus being on earth. So it's John telling us what happened when Jesus was on earth. And it says this, as he went along, this is Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples, these are Jesus' disciples, asked him, Rabbi, which means teacher, uh, which they would often call Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. In the culture of the day that these disciples and Jesus lived, they lived in the Jewish culture, in the Jewish faith. And there was a belief that if you sinned, that God would punish you with ailment or illness. 
It was believed, in fact, that you could sin in the womb. Before you were even born, you could sin. And therefore, the disciples are here. They see this man who's been blind from birth, and they're trying to figure out from their teacher, from the one who knows truth, who did wrong. Tell us who did wrong. Jesus responds. Did I just lose it? Uh, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. Jesus said, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it's day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can do work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus goes on and he gives instructions to the blind man of how to be healed. He spits on the ground, he puts mud in his face. You know, sometimes we want healing to look very pretty and it looks very messy. Have you ever been turned off by the way God wants to heal you? It's like, you know, these hidden sins in our life, healing looks like confession. And you're like, that looks a little messy, Jesus. Find a different way. He gives this picture of how to be healed, and the man goes and does it. We jump ahead to verse 13. Then the, they, they, this is the Pharisees, brought, or they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So they were divided. Finally they turned to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. The Jews still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for a man, for the man's parents. They're trying to convince in this moment that the man must have been hiding his blindness, that there must actually be something else going on, because if he had sinned, there's a punishment to the sin. We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind, but how he can see now or who opened his eyes we don't know ask him he is of age he will speak for himself his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews for already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue that was why his parents said he is of age ask him a second time they summoned the man who had been blind give glory to God they said we know this man is a sinner he replied whether he is a sinner or not I don't know one thing I do know I was blind, but now I see. Everything happens for a reason. Disciples are trying to answer this question in this moment. Who sinned? This man or, or, or his, his parents sinned? So who's the cause? What is the reason for this ailment in the world? And Jesus responds, and if you understand it, he doesn't really say, well, he was ailed so that I could heal him. He says that his ailment is now an opportunity for him to heal him. It's not that Jesus caused the ailment. Otherwise, we're believing in a God with Munchausen. uh, Munchausen, I gotta say it right. What is it? Munchausen hero syndrome. Have you ever heard of Munchausen? I can't even say it, so it's like Spellmanchine. Munchausen hero syndrome. Those people who create accidents so that they can go and save people. Do we believe that our God has, hit, has hurt someone so that he could show us that he was powerful by healing him? Does God have Munchausen hero syndrome? No, God's saying, Jesus is saying in this moment that 
He's ailed, therefore he can heal him. And here's the funny thing about all of these uh, statements that we make, these statements that we like, that feel good to our soul, is there's a half-truth in them. It's why it feels good. But the other half of the truth is missing in it. Does everything happen for a reason? No, I'm sorry. It does not all happen for a reason. There's an important reason that we have to recognize that not everything happens for a reason. If we think that everything happens for a reason, we diminish the reality of suffering, pain, and turmoil in our life. Did you know that there is a part of our life that is painful? Yet if everything happens for a reason, pain must be the byproduct of my wrongdoing. Pain must be the byproduct of my ailment. And what happens when pain is the byproduct of my ailment? Well, it only leads me to a place of shame. If everything happens for a reason, then it bypasses the reality that something wrong could happen and I might just have to sit in there in the wrong. There's this verse um, that I love in, and, and it comes up... Um, comes up every once in a while. I remember doing a message on it not, uh, not too many years ago. Oh, I've just lost the note here. Here. And maybe you've heard it before. It's in Romans 12, 14 to 16. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy. And weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all. Be happy with those who are happy, but also weep with those who are weak. If we diminish the reality of suffering and pain in our life, we miss out on the reality of weeping with those who are weeping. To hurt with those who hurt. I like how the writer of Ecclesiastes says it. Luck and chance happened to us all. Was it this man who sinned or his parents? Well, no, luck and chance happened to us all. And we can weep with those who weep. And we can celebrate with those who celebrate. Did you know that not all your suffering happened for a reason? Not all your pain happened for a reason. It's really easy, again, to be the person who says everything happens for a reason when it's their house that burned down. But when it's ours and we have to ask that question, does everything happen for a reason? God, where were you in that moment? We have to recognize that there are things that happen in our life that are just suffering, pain, and turmoil. I remember doing this study not very long ago, um, and it was, uh, if you can picture with me, and I may have shared it here before, uh, the, the, if you can picture happiness or joy on a continuum. So this is the center. And over here is joy to the level of five. And over here is pain to the level of five. And it was written by a psychologist, and they, they said what often happens is we try to avoid our pain. So how willing, how much pain are you willing to experience? A, a, a two on the pain level? A, a one on the pain level? A three on the pain level? A four on the pain level? Because to the same degree of you're willing to experience the pain is the degree that you're able to experience the joy. If I'm only willing to experience one on my pain level, then I'm always stunted to just a one on my joy level. I don't know about you, have you ever gone through counseling or, or had to dig into things that go on in your life 
whether they be addictions or anger responses or whatever it is, these sort of things, if you dig into them, isn't it interesting that when a counselor or a pastor helps you deal with them, they, they try to take you to the five on the pain level? They go to the childhood trauma. They go to all these details here. Because really, if we won't face those things, we will never get to these things. The reality is pain and suffering is a part of our ability to experience the joy. Because when I have loss, I have great understanding of what it is to have gain. Do you think the disciples were more happy than the blind man when he was healed? Or do you think the blind man who had experienced blindness for so long had great joy of what it was to be healed? Have you ever met people who love the Lord and speak about it like it's the most amazing thing in the world that they've met Jesus? Generally, their story has a lot of pain associated with it. We have to recognize that no, not everything happens for a reason. But God can give reason to everything that happens. Not everything happens for a reason. But God can give reason to everything that happens. Have you heard this scripture? But he can make all, work all things together for the good. It doesn't mean he makes all things good. It means he can make all things good. Do you hear me? In your life, luck and chance happen. Things go wrong. But God can give reason to everything that happens. So not everything happens for a reason. What about this? God will never give you more than you can handle. God will never give you more than you can handle. How many of you believe that? I want to believe that. When I'm stressed and I'm looking for that eighth day in the week, the 25th hour in the day, you know, you're looking for it too. Wait, isn't this day supposed to have more hours in it? Isn't it only supposed to take me half an hour to get the thing that's taking me three days? I don't know about you. I'm really bad at time estimation. I had a job I wanted to get done around our house three days ago. Uh, I thought it would take four hours, and we're three days later. This is the reality of my life. Maybe it's the reality of yours. And I want to believe that God will not give me more than I can handle, yet I encounter these things that I feel like I cannot handle. And, and these, again, are half-truths. So there's some truth in it, but there's also some lie in it. And if we don't acknowledge what the truth is and acknowledge what the lie is, then we'll miss out on the fullness of what God has for us in that. So, what happens when you get more than you think you can handle, but you believe that God will only give you more than you, as not, enough or as much as you can handle? What do we do? What is my response when I think God's given me more than I can handle, but everyone tells me that God keeps giving me only what I can handle. It's the same response always to these things that, we, we, um, that restrict us in our life. Shame and isolation. Because if God only gives me more, if God only gives me what I can handle, and I don't think I can handle this, then I must not be as good as every other person who seems to be able to handle everything that God's giving them then there must be something wrong with me. There must be something I have to deal with here. There must be something that is impeding me. And what am I going to do? I'm going to separate myself from everyone else. 
these last uh, uh, maybe two or three months, um, my wife and I, we recently uh, are, mo or we're moving, we're moving to a new house. And you know, it was really easy to do the first couple loads from the house. Like you pack stuff up into the bins and then you put them in the truck or the trailer or whatever, you bring across. And then I got stuck at this point because suddenly there were these items like my headboard that I built 10 years ago when two by sixes were cheaper than one by sixes, which means it weighs about 300 pounds. And it's been moved twice or three times. And most of those people have sworn when they've moved them. And when I get to that item, this is what happens. I look at it and I recognize I cannot handle you. This is more than I can handle. Now, I can do this. I can try to handle what's more than I can handle. But what do you think will happen when a little me tries to carry a 300-pound headboard out of a house into another house upstairs? What is likely to happen? I'm going to damage myself, and I'm going to cause damage along the way. When we try and handle things that are too much for us, you are going to damage yourself, and you're going to cause damage along the way. God's created us not to be lone rangers. He's created us actually in a design that God will allow things to happen in your life that you cannot handle. God will allow it. Now we have to clarify something. First, we think God will never give me more than we can handle. There's, there's an error in this theology that believes that God's giving you everything. No, luck and chance happen. So no, it's not God who gives all the good or the bad. There's things that happen that are not given by God. We have to recognize the difference between God's perfect will, what he wants to see on the earth, and God's permissible will. God's permissible will is the things he allows in the wor world, even though it's not his perfect will. God's perfect will is what he would want the whole earth to look like. God's permissible will is what he allows in the world. Understand? So First, we have to recognize that God does not give us everything. It's not all good from God and bad from God. There are things that happen that are luck and chance. So God will never give me more than I can handle. The second thing is he will allow more than you can handle because he's trying to do two things, drive you to community and drive you to him. Here's the truth. You do get more than you can handle, but, not, but God, not, but God never gives you more than he can handle. You do get more than you can handle. But God never gives you more than he can handle. I try and handle the things that God's given me that are more than I can handle. I damage myself and I damage things along the way. I try and handle them. Isn't it funny? You know, I have someone help me with this headboard and we didn't damage a wall. They pivoted right. They understood how to get there. But if I'd done it myself, I would have damaged things. Isn't it funny how that thing that's too heavy for you isn't too heavy for two? It's like it's in scripture or something. I think I've read it somewhere. This idea that two will have greater success than one. This idea that we're designed for community. It's like it's a truth in scripture trying to prevent us from things. Here's the problem when it comes to scripture if we don't recognize it re regularly. Scripture being the Bible is we think that it's a, a rule book telling us what to do and not do, what is right and what is wrong. But it's actually a guidebook trying to keep us from damage into fulfillment of life. 
when the Bible says two are better than one, it's trying to keep me from damaging myself. Not a rule book trying to keep me from right or wrong, but it's trying to get me to the best point in my life. Did you know when you get more than you can handle and you turn to God, that's better for you than trying to handle it yourself? But we avoid the truth because we think it's something other than what it is. Are you with me? I know the heat's getting to you. I can, I can see a few of you passed out in the back. I don't know if anyone's passed out in the back. Just as everyone turns to look, who fell asleep? <laughs> We're going to draw faces on him. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 to 12 says two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. Everyone say, help him up. up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. Cord of three strands is not quickly broken. We are designed for community. And we are designed to be in community with others and with the Lord. Psalm 37 verse 5 says, commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him and he will help you. This was a C3 Kids memory verse a few years ago. Because as soon as I read it, I hear my four-year-old son reading it to me. He's now nine. So it was a few years ago, I think, that the scripture was there. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him and he will help you. So how do we deal with you, do, you getting more than you can handle? Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him and he will help you. How do you deal with Getting more than you can handle. You commit everything. I know I'm saying it a second time. You commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him and he will help you. How rarely are you committing things to the Lord? How often are you committing things to the Lord? Your finances, your relationships. I have a friend, he does this every time he goes into a business meeting. He just says, God, be with me. We always think it's more complicated than that. But it's really quite simple. If God's going to give me more than I can handle, or if I'm going to encounter more than I can handle, whether God gives it or not, in everything that I go, God, guide me in this. Is this something that I need others or that I need you? Is this something that I need both? Is this something that I'm not meant to handle? Because these statements, they feel great. God will never give you more than you can handle. They feel like ointment to a wound. But how many of you ever feel like at the end of that, it's like a chocolate bar at the grocery store. It solves the hunger for a moment. But really, all that I'm left with at the end of that chocolate bar is a lifestyle of regret. God gives us, or you do get more than you can handle, but God never gives you more than he can handle. Remember, not everything happens for a reason, but God can give reason to everything that happens. I'm going to read this last scripture, and I'm going to pray. It's in 2 Corinthians, uh, and you don't have it at the back, just so you don't go looking. But I have it in my Bible. And you probably have it in yours too, just so you know. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 8 to 9. This is Paul writing to the Corinthian church. 
We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even life. Oh, don't worry, Paul. Everything happens for a reason. Don't worry, Paul. God never gives you more than you can handle. This is what we would say. Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. As you help us by your prayers, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. You do get more than you can handle, but God never gives you more than he can handle. Why don't you bow your heads? I'm going to pray. Thanks for tuning in today. Each week, we gather in cities across our region and online to explore the truth of freedom available to all in the message of Jesus Christ. To find a gathering near you or to find out more, head to c3church.ca.